Welcome to the Tej Talks Podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tej Talks podcast. On today's episode, we have Luke Brindley, and we are talking about, I mean, a few things. BRR, he is, like me, a lover of the brrr strategy, uh, and also has an interesting title flip, new build, planning gain kind of thing thrown in there as well. And a few flips, of course, for good measure. You know, we actually got quite deep into mindset and some of the challenges that, you know, if you're new to property or even if you have experience, you're potentially facing and going through right now. We all spoke about networking. Please, people, don't forget, me and James have launched the property event, the the, the, the property event. Look at that pro DJ sound effects. Uh, And it's by the time this, you know, podcasting is tricky because I'm recording this like a month ago. So who knows if the event started by now, but either way, I'm raising your awareness. Go to thepropertyevent.co.uk and see you soon, yeah? Luke, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Thanks a lot, Tej. Thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of the show, so it's a, a privilege to be uh, to be asked to be on. No, it's great to have you on. And, you know, I know we were both in YPN magazine together. I think our little faces were, were on the front cover. And, you know, I really enjoyed reading your article. And, you know, I know you love buy-to-lets and BRs. And, and you do a couple of other things as well, which is actually going to be really interesting for people to to kind of listen to, especially the, you know, kind of finding direct-to-vendor deals. In a market like this, we all need to know how to do something like that if we really want to secure the deals. Um, and you've also uh, teamed up with John Dale, really, really cool dude who's been on this show many, many years ago, but, you know, also super experienced. But before we get into that property stuff and when we give the listeners all the kind of nuggets and all the kind of source, what were you doing before property and then what led you to property? Right, so I was um, I was born and raised on the Preston Road Council Estate in Hull, which is in East Yorkshire, for those who don't know. Um, and I worked as a engineering and design consultant, predominantly within the oil and gas industry. You know, and that involved firstly relocating full time to Aberdeen when I was age twenty one. Spent a couple of years up there, um, and then pretty much for the next ten years, it was a case of you know working all over the UK, spending a lot of time offshore. Um, yeah, and my sort of working pattern was a real mix of sort of five days away, two days at home, 12 days away, two days at home, 18 days away, two days back at home, you know, and, and to be quite honest, missing out on the small things in life, you know, while my daughter was growing up, it just made me realise that I wanted to take control back of my time. Um, so I'd always had an interest in property, you know, a long, long time before I was ever in a financial position to to fund the purchase of a property. Um, and then when I got to that point, you know, I knew that I was going to invest at some point. It was a case of just getting to, just getting to that point in my life where I was able to fund that per- first purchase and just just move from there, really. And you know that that kind of lifestyle obviously is quite demanding. It's you know you're traveling a lot. It's not exactly ideal, like you said, when you have you know a kid, when you have family and, and other commitments. How did you know? like how to start in property because you know i know it's quite a, you know everyone sort of knows a bit about property but yeah like what was your first deal and like how did you know what to do in, in all honesty Tej, I, I, I didn't know what to do um you know i'd had i'd had no sort of education um i didn't have anybody anybody to turn to to ask for advice um i'd just done you know done a little bit of research online as as people do um you know when you when you're in a, a day job that you know, maybe you're a little bit unhappy with, and I kept coming back to you know property investors who'd who'd made it big, and you know, you just kind of you read them kind of stories, and you think, yeah, you know, I I want to do that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, moving going into the first deal stage, I was you know I was completely green. I didn't have any other than you know these huge aspirations which I'd seen others achieve. That was pretty much you know where I was at at the minute. It was right i'll just i'll just buy one and make a start see how it goes so yeah i was i was you know pretty naive at that point um but yeah i just kind of had the attitude of 
let's let's just give it a go and and see see where it takes us. And you know, your first property, or you started investing, you know, back in 2011, right? So you yeah. know, whilst you were in the day job, you know, how long did it take? I suppose before you went from you know that first kind of deal where you were like maybe not knowing what you were doing getting on the ladder you know doing what you could still you know buying deals getting an income from it how long do you think it took you to then shift to becoming you know i suppose what people would say like a professional kind of property investor for myself Ted, it was probably it was probably a good five or six years to be quite honest with you um i was i was adding adding to my portfolio kind of on a regular basis but it it wasn't until sort of four or five years in when I had you know I had one summer where you know I probably spent out of three or four months I, I, I was at home you know six six to seven days out of them out of them three or four months and it was at that point I really I thought you know I need to start taking this serious um, you know I've made a, I've made a really good start and making good progress I've built up a, a modest portfolio but I thought you know if this is actually what I want to do if this is the vehicle that I'm going to use to exit the day job, I really need to nail down, you know, what I'm going to do and, and, and just, you know, focus on it and, and treat it like a business, not just a, not just a sideline. So yeah, that was, that was really a, a, a turning point for me kind of around, you know, 2014, 2015. And um, I understand that one of your biggest mistakes was not telling everyone what you did at least for those first five years i mean how i suppose why did you keep it to yourself and then when you did start to tell people what changed yeah so the, the reason i didn't i didn't tell anybody about it Tej, is um you know i, I where i grew up um as I, as I kind of touched on earlier i didn't know anybody who, who invested in property um you know even buying a property wasn't wasn't a topic of discussion when I was growing up you know we lived on a council estate um so when I started getting involved in property um I was kind of self-conscious of, of sharing that with people especially people who was closest to me um because you know I knew that they wouldn't be able to understand and I felt I might get some resentment from some people so it was kind of it was it was myself um and my you know, preconceptions of how others may look on me that stops me from sharing it in that first instance. Um, yeah, and it took me a real long time before I did start sharing what I was doing, and that was that was purely through after several years and, and deciding that you know I did want to take it serious. I started you know growing my network on social media, and it was only through you know them interactions and actually realizing that there's so many other people out there who you know, I've got the same aspirations and, and the same mindset that, you know, I started to share more and more with, with everybody really. Um, and yeah, it, it had a, had a huge impact, you know, it, you know, the more people who know what you're doing, the more opportunities that come your way, um, you know, whether that be investment or, you know, opportunities to buy properties or, you know, just, just the, um, you know, connections and relationships that, that you can make with people. Definitely. And I think, you know, it's kind of one of the most common pieces of advice for how to find deals, how to find investors, you know, how to do anything, I suppose, in any business. It's kind of like awareness. People have to know what you're doing, what you need, where you're doing it so that they can help you in some shape or form or someone they know can help you. So when you did sort of start, you know, telling everyone what you were doing, did you face the resentment and sort of what you thought you'd get from people? No, no, I'll tell you. No. So I mean it was it was um it was all it was all kind of in in my in my own head at that point and you know you know hindsight's a wonderful thing. Um you know I've actually I've, I've been looking back over you know the last last 10 12 years quite recently and and looking at what sort of challenges I've had along the way and and you know people people talk about mindset and you know, I was probably of the opinion some time ago, you know, mindset, you know, I'm, I'm not interested in all that fluff. But, you know, when you actually look back, you know, when you actually look back, it, it's it's real evident where, you know, what sort of mindset challenges I've had along the way. Um, and once you overcome them, you know, it really does, you know, broaden your horizons and, and opens up new opportunities. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, I think as humans, we 
a lot of the things we fear are in our head. A lot of the anxieties are created about by thinking about something, not the actual thing, because we sit there worrying and worrying and thinking this and thinking this. And then it comes to the actual thing or the event and it's like, oh, so that was it. And, you know, we kind of create so much narrative and dilemma and even drama around certain things in our head. And I think, you know, the mindset thing is, is really important because, you know, it's talked about, but I think it can get lost in kind of Instagram memes and quotes. And like, you can read a quote and say, oh, that's really good. But some, there's some quotes where like, if you read them, there's a lot that comes from it. And there's a lot that you can act on from a few kind of wisdomous words. So Luke, you kind of alluded to there, you know, you had some mindset challenges along the way. Could you share those with us? Because I think the listeners would kind of, they're going to relate to the challenges you had because they might be having them right now. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, throughout throughout various stages of, of, you know, my investment ventures, I've had, I've had, you know, some real mindset challenges. So, you know, to begin with, I had a mindset challenge of, you know, I had real self-limiting beliefs. Um, you know, I, I was, because I come from a background where we didn't have much money, I also put people who had money on a real pedestal. Um, so even when I started networking and I started, you know, I started growing my network and I was speaking to people and, you know, they're telling me what sort of funds they've got available to invest. And, you know, they're talking huge, huge amounts of, of, of money compared to what I, what I ever started with. And because they had the money, I was putting them on a pedestal and, you know, I found it, I found it quite difficult at first to, you know, interact with them, them people. Um, but as I, as I developed, um, you know, it, it turned it turned full circle where, you know, these people was was coming to me because I was able to provide a service to them. You know, I started sourcing deals for for investors. I started doing, um, you know, JVs with some of these people as well. So, you know, that was that was a real a real mindset challenge for myself. Um, even just 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 getting myself out there and, and speaking to people. Again, I, I really struggled with with networking to begin with. I, you know. I, it wants something that came natural to me, you know, really, um, I really felt uncomfortable to begin with, but, you know, over time, you know, that eased, um, I used to look at people a little bit envious when they, they just walk straight into a room and they'd never met anybody. And, you know, they seem to have the gift of the gab, but, um, yeah. So, you know, that, that's just two instances. Um, mm. and then, you know, as I said, when I started out in property, I was, I was pretty naive. Um, and, you know, I was I was unaware of the challenges that may come ahead, and it's funny because kind of the the further down the path I went, um, you know, I, I remember when I had five or six bad lets. If if at that point, you know, five years, you know, four years, three years previous, I'd have looked at myself, I'd have said, you know, you're doing great, you know, absolutely brilliant. But when you reach that point, you get new challenges. Then I was really, I was really hard on myself at that point because I felt I want accelerating enough. Um, so then you kind of you're struggling with yourself at that point as to what what do I need to accelerate it? Well, I know I need to network more, but I don't like networking. So yeah, it's just you know it's a constant as you, as you evolve, you get new mindset challenges. So it's something that I'm always consciously aware of. At, at, you know, particularly um at the moment um you know i've got new mindset challenges now um you know even even just coming coming and speaking to yourself on a podcast it's you know i've not it's all it's all new um but yeah you you know if you don't make yourself uncomfortable then you know you're just going to stand still so uh, you know there's no shame in as far as i'm concerned there's no shame in you know sharing that you know you've had challenges um, I think it's important for people who are starting out to understand that, you know, even people who they may perceive as being successful also have challenges. Yeah, no, I mean, there's, yeah, there, there's so much you could delve into there with what you said. And, and I appreciate you sharing those because, you know, I've I've kind of felt all of them, you know, and I think the, the networking one, yeah, you know, I think some people do have the kind of gift of, of confidence and you can walk in and, and that's that. Um, 
And then I think some people definitely like have learned that by, you know, doing what you've done, like go to them, feel uncomfortable, speak to three people, leave, speak to five, leave. And then, you know, eventually you kind of get to a point where you are so much more confident. And then, you know, I suppose you then help others who are less confident, you know, in a networking room kind of come out of their shell, I suppose. So it's kind of like a, a kind of giving full circle, I suppose, because like you said, networking is, is so important. And then the kind of fighting or struggling with yourself, I think that's just, that's such a sort of entrepreneurial thing, right? We all have, we're like, oh yeah, so I've, I've, um, I've created all this cash flow. I've bought all these houses, but hmm, is it enough? And then you go to your next target and you're like, yeah, smashed that. Um, is it enough though? And it kind of feels like when, when does this entrepreneurial cycle stop? Because for some people it stops at death. You know, yeah. I can just tell, um, that, you know, this cycle is going to keep going and it's never going to be enough. And then you have the other end of the spectrum where, you know, anything is enough and people are comfortable. And so it is a real, real balance. But I think something that, you know, we don't do, especially in property is we don't ever kind of stop and enjoy the kind of fruits of our labor. We keep planting, we keep growing, we keep pruning, we keep picking the fruit, but we don't actually enjoy it. And so I think sometimes without getting complacent, it's kind of good to just step back, look at what you've done, and I suppose be grateful and enjoy um, kind of what you've worked hard for, right? I think I think you make a great point, Tej, and, um you know it's funny you kind of touch on not you know not celebrating your wins. You know that's something that I was particularly poor at. You know because when you're building a, a portfolio, um, you know there's there's a real sense of delayed gratification there. You're putting in a lot of work. You know and you know you may be adding three hundred pound or you know three hundred and fifty pound, two hundred and fifty pound pair property to cash flow. Yeah, and it's not life changing at that point, but you know you need to you need to when you when you buy a property and you go through the process of refurbing it and you've completed it and you get a tenant in you need to celebrate that because you know you've put a lot of work in um and that's something i was particularly poor at and you also touched on you know when is it enough and and i spent i spent years and years with an end goal of walking away from the day job you know being able to live life on my terms and that was just my goal my end goal and I've worked towards that for so long that in my head, you know, I'd decided and, you know, I'd kind of dreamt about that scenario. And I thought when I reached that point, you know, that'd be, you know, utopia, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd have made it. And it didn't, for me personally, it didn't quite work out like that. Um, in all honesty, you know, I walked away from the day job. I spent a couple of weeks where, you know, I was absolutely buzzing. You know, I'd, 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 I'd met my end goal. Um, but I kind of struggled for a little bit post that post that point because I no longer had a big target to work towards. I'd not planned through the goal, and you know that was something I wasn't aware of. And I kind of I felt a little bit lost at that point, and you know I started to do some 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 research and you know trying to understand why I was feeling like this because you know this isn't how I was supposed to feel. You know I was supposed to feel feel brilliant and you know i came across two terms that i'd never heard of before one of them is um summit syndrome um and this is you know it's what happens to people who thrive on challenge and you know they enjoy conquering goals learning and mastering new skills and surpassing previous performance but when they get to the top you know and they feel like they've mastered something get bored and restless um <laughs> And then the other term that I came across was arrival fallacy. And this is an illusion of once we make it, once we attain our goal or reach our destination, that will have ever-reaching happiness. So <laughs> them two them two terms that I'd never heard of, they really resonated me at, with me at that point. And, um, I, you know, I took a step back at that point and, and really just kind of, try to figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life now. Mm, those are definitely good terms. The summit syndrome, yeah, I, I have that and I, I feel that. And the arrival fallacy, that, that's quite an interesting one because that's so like rooted in, I suppose, society and how we perceive happiness. You know, like when 
I get this, I'll be happy. If I get this, I'll be happy. On this date, I'll be happy. But the truth is, it's just be happy. You know? Exactly, yeah. There's no if or when or – because like you said, you'll get there and you'll be like, oh, this is cool. Oh, I'll be happy when I get that new car. You get the new car, you're like, oh, this smells like new car. And then a week later, you're like, hmm, why do I feel the same? Um, it's because happiness is like, it's not related to things like that. Um, so yeah, those are some some really good points. And celebrating the wins, I mean, bloody hell, I'm just so relieved that I can tell the builder, I don't have to speak to a builder again when I'm done. I'm just like <laughs> lying there, just, just like breathing a sigh of relief. But, you know, the celebration point, yeah it's so so important so i mean look do you do kind of do you have like regular practices or i don't know things you do to kind of i suppose keep your mindset or your mental health kind of safe whilst you're growing a business yeah i I do a lot more now because i've got a lot more time on my hands so you know i've got a lot more time to think so when i you know when i went through that little period of feeling a bit lost i thought right i need to i need to really concentrate on on my mindset Eat um, now more so than ever because previous to that you're so busy that you don't have you don't have time to really to think about it and you know even even if things creep up on you 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 just don't have time to think about it so I was really conscious that I was going to have a lot more time on my hands a lot more time to think so yeah I mean now every day you know I just try and you know try and be positive um, you know start the day with with positive thoughts and. Also, you know, a mantra that I really live by now is is no regrets. Um, you know, when when you're moving into situations where you think you're going to feel uncomfortable, you know, you can you can feel that little bit of anxiety building up. You know, I just tell myself, you know, no regrets, no regrets, and you know that's that's enough for me now. You know, and then I'm just able to push on. Mm, I love that. It's simple, but it kind of reframes stuff and puts your mind in a situation where it's going to take action. It's going to do something. It's going to, you know, not want to have to come back and regret this because it knows how painful it is. So it's a simple cue, but I think it works really well. So, you know what? We could talk about mindset forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, 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 yeah. Yeah. I wasn't yeah, really expecting us to, to be uh, deep, deep diving into mindset, but you know, it's, it's, it's important and it's something which is, um, you know, it's often, it's often overlooked. It is. It's often overlooked until you're burnt out, until you're there, like breaking down and you're like, how did I get here? Um, it's like health, right? You know, it's it's all looked after beforehand. It happens in the kitchen. It happens in the kitchen of your mind, which is what you put into it. So if we talk about property, so, you know, obviously where we left it before is, you know, five years after that, you kind of start taking it seriously. Uh you know, did you then sort of say, right, I'm going to do, you know, buy, refurbish, refinance and, you know, did that, what was your kind of strategy and what did you do then? Yeah. So I'd already been doing buy, refurbish and refinance, um, you know, it was a strategy that I fell in by, fell into by default just because the first couple of properties I purchased was, you know, the cheapest properties. There was the only properties that I could afford and, you know, the required refurbishment work. So, I fell into that strategy without really understanding understanding the strategy or being aware of it beforehand. So, you know, by the point that I thought, right, I'm really going to set this serious, I already knew what strategy I just wanted to continue with. I'd already had the experience of doing a number of projects. And, yeah, it was a case of, right, I just really want to concentrate on this now and I want to accelerate it. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty simple from that point. I knew what my strategy was. It was a case of how do we accelerate this now? Um, you know, to accelerate it, need more funds, need more deals. Um, so, yeah. And then, you know, am I right in saying that you, you know, by supplementing it with flips, which is something that I think a lot of people don't do. And yeah. I, I don't know, I'm, I'm learning that people are a bit more scared of flips you know, for whatever reason, but did you find that kind of supplementing it with flips meant that you kind of, you know, any money you left in was repaid back and you had cash flow? Did it help? And would you recommend if people are like, right, I'm going hell for leather, BRR, that they should do some flips alongside it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I wish that I'd started doing flips a lot earlier, in all honesty. Um, But, you know, I can understand why I didn't. And that was because... 
I was I was aiming for a monthly cash flow per month, and it just didn't at the time. It didn't sit right with me to take a project on, go through all the hard work of of getting it to a point where you know it was able to be rented out and start cash flowing. I felt I just felt like I couldn't let go of them properties. Um, so yeah, it, I wish I'd started doing it earlier because, like you said, you know when when you finish the project and you don't have to speak to the builders anymore. Then you know if if you can then sell the property and you know you get a lump of cash back in as well, you know it's it's, it's happy days and and then that's you know that is something to celebrate. Definitely, and I think also what's missed, you know, a lot of people ask and a lot of people don't sort of have an explanation for this, but like they're like, oh, so you know when you do BRR deals and you leave in five grand or you leave in ten grand and it's all investor funded, um, there's a bit of a gap here. Like, how do you pay the investor back, right? And I feel like there isn't really a sort of official answer. Um, I think people like to kind of pass over it to just, you know, for whatever reason. But I find that when I was doing BR, all the flips basically paid off that kind of gap um, in the investor sort of amount that was missing until the cash flow could do that. And so flips, in a sense, meant that I could use investor finance heavily because, you know, it was always being backed up and they would always be paid because of how it was structured. So I think, you know, people who are listening, BRR can be slow, you know, legals, refurb, refinance, rent, agent takes your first month rent, blah, 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 blah. You know, you may need some lumps of cash in the meantime, and maybe even to give yourself like a salary so you can quit your job earlier. And actually, speaking of quitting your job, Luke, what was, again, very common question, what were your sort of... um like what things did you need to tick off before quitting your job? Like what things did you have ready or cash flowing or whatnot that you said, right, I'm ready. I'm quitting the job. Yeah. So for myself, Tej, um, you know, if I didn't have any responsibilities that I'd probably quit, quit a lot earlier. Um, but for myself, you know, we've got, we've got three children. Um, you know, I've got, I've got a family partner, you know, I've got responsibilities and, and, you know, you've got, you've got bills to pay on a monthly basis. Um, and then also when you're in a day job, you know, you, you've got a certain, certain amount of income, you know, so you get used to a certain, a certain type of lifestyle, albeit as an investor, you, you tend to be a bit more, a bit more shrewd where you're spending. Um, but yeah, in my, 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 in my head, you know, I always knew I'd never step a day for, away from the day job until my portfolio was, you know, more than, more than comfortably supporting, you know, what my day job was previous to that. So once I reached that point, yeah, it was, you know, it was an easy decision to make. I'd, and, and doing that way, you know, it, it relieves all the pressure. Um, you know, I'd, you do see people who are, who are desperate to leave the day job and, and, you know, maybe make the jump too early. And, you know, it, it can put a lot of pressure on you because, you know, life life's expensive on a monthly basis and and if you've got no income you know any savings you've got which you may have set aside to invest you know they quickly get eroded by you know day-to-day life Mm, yeah i think it's that balance and i suppose the balance is different for everyone some people may you know some people may just need 12 months of savings and they're like cool let's do it let's get into it full time some may need the whole portfolio i think you know an important thing to add to that is you know what works for luke what works for tej isn't necessarily going to work for you listening to this. So, you know, but I think the common theme is, and Luke said there is, is about the safety. It's knowing that things are covered and they will be covered. So, you know, a lot of people know of BRR and they don't want to do it actually because of whatever excuse it is. But the main thing I'm hearing is because of the refurb, right? Because of the hard work and because you've got to find a deal that is a shithole in a tough market and, you know, it's a lot more work yeah, compared to a high estate agent. Have you got a property I can buy with a mortgage and let out tomorrow? Of course we have put 25% down and get a 6% return. In your opinion, do you think BRR for the returns it give you for, for, what, for any sort of factor, do you think it's worth all the extra effort, which there's a lot extra effort versus a traditional buy to let? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Tej, you know, when I when I look at deals, I focus on return on cash employed, and you know, you know, I've had I've had infinite return on cash employed. You know, you know, just like you know, stu- stupid percentages. You know, when you're comparing it to you know a traditional 
buy to let purchase where you just purchase in a property which is is already in a tenable condition so you know the returns are and you know the polars apart um and yeah the reason for that is because you've put got to put some work in but you know for me personally putting that work in's you know it's it's, it's definitely worth it and you know a lot of people listening in london or listening in expensive cities too busy you know they can't do br they just physically can't and I think that also puts people off. And I say to them, well, find a deal sourcer, find a deal packager to kind of do that. Um, and I understand that you do that as well. So what made you take on another pretty, you know, time consuming, um, busy, fairly intense kind of business? You know, what made you add that on to your own kind of portfolio? Yeah, so I, I'll be completely honest, Tej. I had no aspirations of being a deal sourcer at all. <laughs> um, you know, it was never on my radar. Um, it was not something I wanted to do, not something I'd even thought about doing. Um, but it, it came about just because I was getting approached by so many people. You know, can you, can you help me? Can you help me? And, you know, at first I said no, you know, and I said no several times to several people. Um, and then when I started to you know, speak to people who was in my network at that point, you know, they said, you know, they kind of said to me, you know, are you, are you missing an opportunity here? You know, obviously there's, there's cash, you, you know, you can bring in additional cash flow. Um, you know, you can build relationships with people. So I thought, right, you know, I'll give it a go. So I went into it a little bit hesitant in all honesty, but I found that, it is something that I have got some real satisfaction from, you know, being able to help people invest in, in my local area, people who, who otherwise wouldn't have done because they're too busy or they don't know the area. And, you know, above above all, it's it's helping to improve my local area, which is something I'm I'm really passionate about. No, definitely. I think there's a there's a bigger kind of cause to what you're doing there because a lot of people get into deal sourcing as you know the kind of path into property but you've done it kind of i suppose because of the demand right so there's a problem and you're solving it so you know as you were kind of growing your portfolio using brr what were some of the challenges that you faced uh when growing your portfolio like using brr um managing managing multiple refurbs and whilst working full-time you know that was that, that's a challenge. Um, you know, I think at one point I had five refurbishments on the go while I was still working full time. And, you know, you're trying, you're trying to do a day job and your phone feels like it's constantly ringing off the hook because you've got, you've got uh, trades at, at various properties ringing because, you know, materials aren't arrived or, you know, one of the other trades hadn't, hadn't finished their work, you know, so they was there to follow on. And yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's not easy. You know, it wasn't easy at times, but, I, I always had, I always had the um, the end goal in mind. So I knew, I knew I was doing it for a particular reason, and I knew that if I stuck at it, and you know, I did the hard work at that point, I'd get to where I wanted to be. And you know, the the refurb element is, yeah, it is is a painful one, I think, for a lot of people. Um, do you have any tips for people doing BR or, or any strategy really on? I suppose just the refurbishment aspect, you know, take it where you want it, finding builders, managing them, any tips that you can have from your experience from doing so many of these BRs? Yeah, a few, a few tips, um, you know, having a, having a decent specification up front, you know, that really helps, you know, it rules out um, a lot of, a lot of arguments over, you know, what was, what was costed for to begin with. Um it stops a lot of the backwards and forwards interactions during the during the project. You know, you know, your builders ringing you or whatever, or your joiners ringing you saying, you know, I've I've got these doors, and you say I didn't want them doors. I wanted these other type of doors. You know, if that's all detailed up front, you know, that can make things run a lot smoother. Um, having a schedule of works up front, um, you know, in terms of project duration and who's gonna who's gonna come in when. Again, you know that 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 can really be helpful. And another, a really big tip, Tej, um, which I found I found out the hard way with this was when I started taking on more and more refurb projects. I had to, I had, a, I, you know, two or three really good teams that I was using. And as I started to grow and do more refurbishments at the same time, I had to branch out and you know bring in new people. 
And every time you bring in a new person or a new group, you know, that's that's the point where there's the biggest risk of something going wrong. And um, this, you know, I'll be totally honest, you know, sometimes you get it right, sometimes you get it wrong. And, you know, we had an instance on one project where we had a team in there that done, that actually done a refurb for us previously, and that went smoothly, moved on to the next project. So we gave them two refurbs to do at the same time, and, you know, they, they just couldn't manage it. They just couldn't manage it between them. And, as I say, I was still working full-time then, and, you know, it was difficult for me to manage them as much as I wanted to. And, you know, things kind of, you know, projects got delayed. It, it just become, you know, you you, you know yourself, Tej, when when – when deadlines start slipping and, you know, you've got grievances between certain trades, um, at that point it, beco- it can become real difficult. So all I'd say is, you know, if, if you if you feel like you're having real problems with someone, you know, don't be, don't be afraid to remove them from the job. Um, you know, and the, the issue might, the issues you might have been having at that time, ultimately there might have been your doing to begin with, but, you know, when you reach a problem, you need to you need to find a resolution to that problem to get get your projects finished. And and sometimes that does mean removing people and and bringing other people in. Um, you know, but you know, ultimately that can end up costing you more. Mm. I think where possible, hire slowly and fire fast kind of comes into play, which isn't always achievable. But you know, especially when it comes to grievances between trades, I remember one day being in bed at like seven a.m. This is when I used to get up later getting a call from the plumber saying, blah, 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 your builder's done this. You know, I'm going to take him top of the mountain and batter him. And I get a call from the builder being like, Ted, your little plumber's kicking off. And I was like, it's 7am. Yeah. Like I haven't even woken up like one eye shut, one eye open. And you're calling me because you're being immature. It's like, this isn't kind of what I signed up for. Um, But you know, unfortunately these are the kind of things that can happen with humans and with certain types of humans um so yeah people need to be prepared for some interesting conversations and some peacemaking um because yeah i just find that some people just can't get along very well um you know br now a lot of people say oh you know it's kind of like a i wouldn't say it's vanilla that's kind of more by to but they'd say oh you know I'll do BRR for X many years and then I'll do development or something like whatever. You've, and uh, similar to me, kept doing BRRs. And I know you're doing other stuff, which we'll get to, but, you know, what is it about BRRs that, you know, has kept you doing them um, despite, you know, they add what, 250 to sort of 350 a month cash flow per month? Yeah. Um, you know, to be quite honest, it's, it, it's, it's the return on cash employed that, that you're able to get from it you know it's you you're getting a you're getting a high return and you know once you've already been through the process you know yeah you you know as we've just discussed you 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 still have issues from time to time but you've you've been through the pain of of understanding the process so you've already got that experience and i think sometimes you know people people disregard what they've already learned um so if you've got the experience in one area why not why not hone your skills and you know continue to develop and and, and just get better and better? Um, and each time you do it, you know you get you, you're not you're not fearful of certain things because you've been through the the pain before. Um, so yeah, it's just rinse and repeat. Um, it, it's a process that I understand that I've done you know a lot of times now. So it, it's something that I'll probably continue to do forever. To be honest, yeah, I mean it, it kind of. It makes sense, you know, once you've done X amount of them or you've got the right experience and the right team, you know, I'm, I'm sort of focusing really heavy on flips at the moment and moving into developments. But, you know, if a BRR comes off in my area, I'll do it because, you know, I've done enough now to the point where, like yourself, it's just, it's kind of cookie cutter. It's kind of, yep, walk into a house, this will be 16 and a half grand to refurb, We're accurate, five or 10% um, allowance either side. And it kind of gets done. And so it's kind of, I think it's nice to reach a point like this because it shows you, I suppose, how much attention you've been paying the whole way and the fact that you have been learning every single step of the way. So Luke, with all of these deals, uh, how are you financing them? Is it yourself? Is it JVs? Is it investors? How are you working? 
Yeah, uh, all all of them at the moment. Tej, so yes, you know, self self funding, um, private investor finance, joint ventures. Um, yeah, all, all of them, and you know, that's a a million miles away from where I thought I'd ever be. To be quite honest, and you know, it's 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 a place where a lot of people aspire to be. And you know, when when you haven't done joint ventures and you haven't raised investor finance, you know, they are massive obstacles there was for myself you know some people seem to do it easily um for myself it was it, you know I, I struggled with it to be honest with you i thought you know who who's who's going to lend me money who's who's going to joint venture with me but it's you know, i go back to again you know sharing what you're doing telling everybody what you're doing and you know it's not it's not so much the project or the area that people want to get involved in, it's you. So, you know, you need to just be be yourself and, and people will resonate with you as an individual. And if they want to work with you, they'll work with you. Absolutely. And how are you finding investors and JV partners or how are they finding you? It's through social media, in all honesty, Tej. Mm. And, and, and is this through you posting consistently, documenting your journey? Are you doing anything in particular? No, yeah, I just, I just, I just made a commitment to myself to start, you know, being, being visible on social media, you know, be, be active on social media. Whether that's just, you know, not, not just necessarily telling everybody what I'm doing, but you know, taking an interest in what other people are doing, and you know, celebrating other people's successes and, and growing your network that way, rather than just, you know, I've got a fantastic deal, I've done a great job, you know, Pat lets everybody pat me on the back you know it's 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 much more than that it's about it's about you know really growing relationships mm, i agree and social media is hugely powerful for that um so talk to me you did some title splits and planning gain projects as well what um what sort of brought them on and what what were they yeah so i i purchased a, a property which you know on the face of it was you know a, a decent barry february finance project um but this particular pro- property was on a it was on quite a large plot and it actually had a a row of garages at the side of it there were six garages and you know if you if you drove down the street you just assume that them garages was owned by you know that terrace you know each property would have a garage but as it turned out all these garages was actually owned on the same title so i purchased that property uh split the title um I returned the existing property. I did look at, you know, building out on the on the adjacent land. Um, but, you know, that wasn't something I'd ever done before. Um, there was going to be a steep learning curve for myself. And, you know, when I actually looked at build cost, for, you know, against profit, you know, the, I actually made just about as much by just selling the land onto a developer. Um, so I actually sold the land, got the profit back from that, kept the existing property, refurbished it, refinanced it. So on the point of refinance, you know, when you take into account the funds we got back from the land, and that was a that was a massive deal, you know, that was we was able to refinance plus pull out a, a, a big chunk of money as well. Wow. And I think that's again, that's a strategy that, you know, isn't kind of spoken about too much um in detail but when it works i mean in that case it bloody worked because you've got the br on one side and you got the planning uplift on the other and if you did want to build it out you potentially have another br there a build furbish finance um or even a kind of buy to sell so you know i think in, especially in a market like you know the, the one we're in today which is crazy hot you know looking for opportunities like that or other kinds of opportunities will bring it'll bring something different to what you're looking for and also allow you to do deals that other people are not doing because they don't see that, you know, or they don't think of that because they're focused on why well, I do this and that's all I see. So that, that makes a lot of sense. And then in terms of sourcing all these deals, uh, you know, do you have any preferred approaches? Is it agents? Is it leaflets? What do you usually do? Yeah. So in terms of, you know, gener- lead generation, um, I think people kind of get hung up on on one particular strategy, and it really is a you know it's a development over time, you know, and it has been for myself. It's you know leads coming from from various sources, you know, 
um, that can come in from referrals, you know, be that from trades you've worked with in the past, um, you know, even through, you know, agents who, who know what you're doing in the local area. Um, then you've got, you know, specific direct to vendor marketing campaigns, you know, be that through social media or, um, you know, paid advertising. Um, so, yeah, for, for myself, it's a case of, you know, it's an ever-evolving um, cycle, but, you know, the more fingers you've got in the pie, the more chance you, you've got of uh, of pulling something out. Yeah, no, definitely. And how are you finding the market right now in terms of, you know, securing good deals and getting materials? Yeah, so, you know, I'm not I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah, everything everything's as it was because it's not the market is hot. Um are the deals still out there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you have to work a little bit harder to get them deals? Yeah, yeah, you do because, you know, the general public, you know, they're they're aware that the market's hot. You know, people who, you know, previously might have considered approaching someone like myself to sell a property, you know, they're now going to agents and, and properties are selling quick. Um, but, you know, you've, if you're consistent and, you know, if you've done deals with pre- people previously with integrity, then, you know, people people can still refer you and there will always be people whose situation is unique um, where they just want to sell. Um, and it's them people who if you you know if you're consistent and you're visible then you will still get deals coming to you absolutely and you know what are your goals for well i suppose before the end of 2021 um so you know moving forward i'm i'm always going to be building my portfolio you know i'm always going to be um growing my network um looking at you know, whatever opportunities come my way, I'm really open-minded, you know, about about opportunities now. Like I say, I'd spent a lot of time focusing on buy, refurb, refinance. You know, I'm I'm very, you know, open-minded now because I've got a lot more time on my hands. So, you know, I'm able to look at, you know, projects, different types of projects, you know, developments or conversions and, you know, flip projects. You know, I'm, I'm really enjoy, enjoying flip projects at the minute. So... Yeah, it's a case of I just, I just get excited about you know what opportunities could could come my way. No, definitely, I think that makes sense. And you know, I think keeping a kind of flexible eye or a flexible approach is important because you know even if your focus is BR or flips, you never know when an option might be appropriate. You know, you never know when, like you had there with the kind of new build planning game title split. You never know when something just outside of your eye line could work really well on a deal you're doing. So I think being somewhat flexible in terms of what you're looking for and how you're looking for it is important. Um, Luke, if you had to have dinner with three people dead or alive, who's it going to be and what are you going to eat? Well, that's a tough one, Sedge. You've, uh, you've thrown me there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably say, um, I'd probably say, you know, this might come as a, as a bit of surprise, but, you know, I was I was a big a big sporting fan when I was growing up, and um, I was really into um, watching boxing as a kid, and I used to watch a lot of Mike Tyson. So um, I have actually met him in person, but I, I'd, I'd like to sit down and, and speak to him because um, I think he'd have a an interesting story. You know, he's he's, he's made money, lost money, made money again. Um, he's obviously had a, a colourful a colourful life, and yeah, I think I'd be able to. You know, get some value from that sort of discussion. Um, I think a lot of people probably aspire to sit down with people who've, who the deem has only been successful, but I think you learn a lot from from people who's who's actually been through some difficulties as well. Um, so I, I probably can't think of two other people off my head at the moment. <laughs> says, but I think yeah, you'd have it, enough it, stories it, for the lot of them. It would be, it'd be yeah, it'd be it'd be someone who's been through some 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 adversity and, and been able to you know rise above that awesome and you know, i mentioned earlier in the podcast you've teamed up with mr john dale um just tell the listeners what you are doing together and also you got some free resources for people which i'll put a link to in the show notes maybe just give them a quick um run through of what that is 
Yeah, so myself and John, um, again, we you know we met through social media, and I, I'd, I'd have never met John if it wasn't for social media. But we we became you know good good friends, you know, and we we spoke on a on a regular basis. You know, John's based in South Wales, I'm based in Hull. We worked on you know we've got similar similar projects that we work on, and because we're geographically we're quite separated you know we was happy to share a lot of things with each other and and, and help each other out so yeah we, we grew up quite a good friendship and we was both being approached by a lot of people you know individually asking for help on on certain things and we was both helping people individually but you know not in a structured way and you know when you haven't got no structure to advice or guidance that you're offering out it, it can it can take up a lot of time because you're effectively starting from scratch every time you want to answer a question for someone so me and john's kind of had a sit down and a chat and said you know why don't we why don't we utilize our combined 25 years investing experience and, and put something together what's you know a bit more structured and and hopefully can answer a lot of people's questions and and also gives people you know some real insight into what being a property investor involves and you know importantly we've got a lot of content in there around challenges and, and obstacles and, and and what you can do to overcome them and, and sharing a lot of our mistakes because you know people people like to talk about the upsides of property but you know quite often the downsides are um you know left out because that's not that's not attractive from a, a marketing perspective but for us it's, it's really important Cool. I love it. And then the free resources you are giving today, what are they? Yes, uh, we've got um, four free resources that, you know, your listeners can 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 get hold of. We've got 20 ways to find below market value deals. Also, the four key elements to succeed as a property investor. We're also giving away our property funding checklist, which is, you know, ideal for people who've never um taking on private investor funding and you know maybe a little bit stuck as to where to start and lastly we've got how to retire decades ahead of schedule um you know people quite often focus on i want to quit their, their job in you know six months 12 months um you know this kind of tells a story of being able to do it decades ahead of schedule which i think most people would take Definitely. Give me a copy of that. Uh, Luke, thank you so much for coming on the Tej Talks podcast. No, I really appreciate it, Tej. It's been, it's been great talking to you. And um, yeah, I mean, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed following your, your journey over, over the years as well. Um, you know, I always look out for you because you're a vitalet and by refurbished free finance man at heart like myself. So yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.